1: Hi, welcome to another episode of the Standard of Truth podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Garrett Dirkmont, and I'm joined by my friend, Professor Richard LaDuke. Hello,
0: Garrett. Uh, in this podcast, it's going to be a little bit different. We're going to focus, we're going to start at least to focus on one section of the Doctrine and Covenants, section 58. And when you think of section 58 in the Doctrine and Covenants, generally, you think of verses 26 and 27. For behold, it is not meet that I should command in all things. For he that is compelled in all things, the same is a slothful and not a wise servant. Wherefore, he receiveth no reward. Verily I say, men should be anxiously engaged in a good cause and do many things of their own free will and bring to pass much righteousness. So that's that's the popular verses that, uh, that come from that, that I, section. I, that
1: even gets into our lexicon. I mean, you always hear people saying we need to be anxiously, anxiously engaged, engaged. Anxiously yep. engaged. That phrase is... It's, it, you hear it a lot. That's I did. Like, as, yeah. as, a, as a
0: child, I heard it a lot in terms of yard work generally.
1: Yeah. Your parents were like, quote scripture <laughs> to you. By the way, here's the lawnmower. That's we true. need you anxiously engaged.
0: And so, so the reason this is a little bit different, though, is
1: I, I always think of it more of like, uh, you know. That that missionary who tried getting engaged to his girlfriend before he left—that's <laughs> anxiously. That, that is very anxious. Yeah, you're yeah. anxiously engaged. Yeah. Sometimes for two years. that works
0: out. Usually not.
1: And when when I'm saying sometimes, what I mean is never. That's right.
0: Um, well, so, well, sometimes, sometimes it, it does. But uh, the the reason why this one will be a little bit different is um, this this uh, particular episode is a bit of a of a tribute. Um, to, uh, to my stake president, um, uh, he is a, a giant of a man. President uh, Bob Obray is his name. And uh, he, is, he was just the absolute greatest guy that I've ever met. If I could be an eighth of, uh, as good of a person in, in all ways as, as he was, it, I would be uh, incredibly successful.
1: I remember uh, when he was called, your reaction was you shouted yes?
0: I ran around doing fist if, pumps if, in the air.
1: If someone were to walk in, they would have thought that he had actually, you know, he he, he won the Texas lottery. Something I won like a that. billion dollars. Yeah. That's right.
0: I was I was so excited. I so I, I actually had an opportunity to serve uh, with uh, President Obre. uh We were in the priest quorum together for several years, and uh, was absolutely just just the best. And. Um, so no, in fairness to running around and fist pumping, by the way, it was two years ago, when it was on a Zoom presentation. We were still Wh- under COVID, which is
1: how I was there to witness. It. That's that's correct. But yeah. uh, I'm not in his stake. But it wasn't. I, it I wasn't go to all of his stake <laughs> conferences. <laughs> he goes, all of his
0: conference. Well, well, when he was the stake president. They were all amazing, wow. um, and so, uh, but yeah, my wife and I were just elated. We we're we were just uh, we just love him so much, and he and his family were just uh, absolutely amazing. It
1: is one thing I'm going to miss, uh, you know, losing the Zoom feed. I'm going to miss that you could kind of like you could not only go to your own ward, but then you could like watch other wards too. and Be like, oh, let's see what they're let's see what they're talking about. In this Although ward.
0: I will say one one thing, uh, so I. I don't know. I, I think I'm have a moderate level of itel- intelligence. Uh, I am told regularly that that is not accurate. Well,
1: once you are ABD, That's, so. this
0: is true. This is true. I am all but dissertation. So, but the um, when in the middle of COVID, we had a change in bishopric, and uh, and and I was put in charge of the the technical aspect to things. Um, no man take this honor to himself except. He's
1: called by God, yeah. Or in this case, doesn't want
0: because I have a I have a new laptop. So, um, so anyway, the problem was is that we this was before the church kind of standardized things with Zoom, and it was cats and dogs living together, and we had one week that was we were trying YouTube, we were trying all kinds of things, and one week we actually broadcast a Baptist. this church. So the bishop's you accidentally wife accidentally broadcasted. Well, so we were having we were having this problem with YouTube, it wasn't working and so the bishop's wife was watching at home and it just went to a Baptist preacher and she said it was the most entertaining sermon she said seen it in some time.
1: Like you know that in that Baptist church, the the guys like all of a sudden we got thousands <laughs> of people from Utah <laughs> listening to my sermon. Oh yeah. God did that.
0: Yeah. Um, I remember I remember one specific time in the midst of that disaster and the feed went down and we had to change the feed. And from the pulpit, I had to ask the Relief Society president to start texting the sisters to let them know that it had changed. It was, it was the golden age, really. It was. It was yeah. fantastic.
1: We'll miss those days. We will. Anyway, we, we digress. A
0: bit. He, he recently um, uh, passed away. Uh, he had a, a rare uh, neurological uh, disease and passed away, and it was um, it was an incredibly uh, sad and tragic uh, situation. And he is he is deeply missed. Um, but the reason that uh, I bring this up is that uh, it was really really neat. As 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 the the line uh, to go through for the viewing for him was was hours, and the family uh, just like marathon had. People for hours just coming through. It was was really remarkable, and they had a table set up, and they had uh, you know pictures of him and different different things. And one of the things they had was his favorite scripture, Doctrine and Covenants section fifty eight, but it was verse four. And in verse four it says, "For after much tribulation come the blessings. Wherefore the day cometh that ye shall be crowned with much glory. The hour is not yet, but is nigh at hand." And I thought it would be interesting. Um, I happen to know Garrett. Garrett is a good friend of mine, and I asked uh, Garrett if we could only for the podcast. Purposes. <laughs> That's
1: right. We refuse to speak to one another outside of this. But... That's true. We
0: did recently uh, incorporate. There is an LLC, and uh, <laughs> and so there will be much fighting, and we, this will end very poorly.
1: We we've already started the separation, <laughs> <laughs> but pretty I... soon this is going to be the Standard of Truth podcast with your co-host Renee, <laughs> Doctor Renee Darkwood. <laughs> Get a her back to school. I'm going to make her go get a PhD.
0: Well, so I thought it would be interesting um, as a bit of a tribute to uh, a, a man that I love very much to actually look a little bit at this at this section, at this verse in particular, and see if Garrick provides some additional context that uh, can make already beautiful scripture and beautiful sentiment uh, even richer.
1: Well that's a a tough order uh given uh who you're trying to give the the, the tribute to um, I can say that it's I, the measure of someone is sometimes seen in the things they decide to focus on right we all have different pet things that we focus on so I'm not saying that uh you know that if you focus on one or the other that there's something wrong with you but it is a a demonstration of wisdom, I think, that uh, that's the aspect of the scriptures in total that he focused on and this revelation in particular. As I've said before on the podcast, and I'll, I'll keep saying it mainly because we don't have any better ideas, so I just keep saying the same things over and over again. Or as my dad once told me, I keep telling you the same things because <laughs> you still don't get it. So um, it may be just a, a learning problem on my part, but... Um, Sometimes I think we forget what the purpose of of Christianity is and what makes you Christianity unique. And and it's really hard because while we want to proclaim like John Calvin that we worship an all-powerful God that he controls everything that he could thrust us to hell at any moment and we you know we we listen to Jonathan Edwards sermon and we say preach on brother the the reality is as much as we talk about how all powerful God is, the actual reality of mortality is one in which there is not the constant intervention of God's power to prevent horrible tragedies from happening. Like, like his untimely death, honestly. Um, I'm not saying that God isn't all-powerful. I believe that he is. But I also believe that we chose to come to this world and have this mortal experience. Now, why do I say that makes Christianity unique? Why does it matter so much? It matters because we don't believe that every blessing for righteousness comes to us in this life. We don't believe that it's, uh, you know, as was recently said in conference, like it's some kind of, you know, intergalactic vending machine, right, where we, we, we do righteous things and we get righteous deeds out. We don't believe that. And yet, even though our prophets tell us that's not true, even though the scriptures demonstrate that that's not true, even though Joseph Smith's life is on full display, that it is certainly not true, we still all desperately want to believe it. The reason why Christianity was so radical in the world that it was, it was introduced is Jesus was talking about a kingdom that was not of this world. Blessings in a mansion that you would never see. Happiness in a realm that you don't even know exists. The whole point of Jesus' message was that you don't do good because you're going to get something good this second. You do good, and because you do good, in the next life, God will recompense you. Or as, as he says, you will receive an hundredfold in the kingdom of my Father for the things that you sacrifice. But that requires us to really believe. To really believe that all of the suffering we go through in this life all of the tragedies, all of the unfairness, all of the, the wickedness, all of the, the unjustness, all of the untimely deaths, all of them will somehow be made up to us in the next life. Joseph Smith believed that. It's certainly what is taught by prophets, and yet sometimes we still focus on the idea that we can somehow control the state that we're in. If only I go to the temple enough times, then I'm not going to have anything bad happen to me. Now, now look, I'm not saying that God doesn't bless us. I believe God does. But I think most of the time, those blessings are things which we, God doesn't slap us over the head and say, this is a blessing I'm giving you because you, you know, went and visited a widow in your ward. And many of the blessings that we want, the ones we most desperately want, are things that are going to be delayed. And this is especially poignant if you've lost somebody that you love very deeply. You then have to have a delayed happiness. You won't get to have the peace that you want until that day of the resurrection so the belief in christianity focuses so tightly on the fact that there is that resurrection because that resurrection day is the day that everything is going to be made right so i i I find that the focus on that scripture to be very profound um you want to talk a little bit about the context? Well, yeah. Of, so, yeah. So, what's what's happening here? What's what's going
0: on? So, the the verse is is beautiful, and and I think you did a, a great job, kind of setting up the verse as, as it is. But what's going on with the saints here? What's going on with uh, Joseph Smith, and and where is this revelation coming from,
1: or why is it coming? So, this is one of the first revelations that's received in Missouri. If you recall, just a few weeks ago, uh, or Whenever you happen to finally get around to listening to that episode, I don't. Are we still numbering them? We are, but no one listened to that episode. Okay, so no one listens to any of the episodes. I don't blame to, them. Yeah, yeah, well, you fast forward <laughs> this, I guess. Um, um, the episode uh, where we were talking about polygamy that's part of it, um, we we talked about the revelation that W. W. Phelps claimed that Joseph Smith had received when they first got to Missouri. Well. This revelation, Doctrine of Section 58, is our second canonized revelation or the second authoritative known revelation um, that Joseph Smith gives when they get to Missouri. And it's actually in a kind of a bad time that it's received. There are uh, uh, several dozen men that are called to go on this journey to Missouri. Now, they don't all make it there at the same time. Some of them do so much preaching along the way that they don't get there at the same time as others do, and that'll cause problems, you know, later. But um, I I said this before, but it it bears restating that many people in the early church—in fact, we had a, a listener ask a question about, you know, what was it that was converting people in the early church? Was it just the Book of Mormon? It was a lot of things. But I mean, every person's different. I think if you were to, if, for those of you who served a mission, if you were to think back to the people who, you know, were converted uh, as a, a result of your missionary service, then my list would be very short and we'd already be done having this conversation. But I've heard that other people who go on missions have success.
0: I've heard that too.
1: You, 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 he's over here. You he had, you probably had like a baptism. Anyway, but um, <laughs> uh, the, the, The reality is different things strike different people. I mean, it is a true thing, a sad reality, that just about every missionary you talk to, at some point on their mission, will have an investigator who has a problem with our doctrine on eternal families because they hate theirs. And I, just about every missionary I've ever talked to has had at least someone say, yeah, I'm, I'm not about that. I don't want to be with him anymore. I don't want to be with her anymore.
0: It's interesting. I I, I
1: had uh,
0: several experiences on my mission that were beautiful where we, where the door approach was essentially t- leading into the idea of eternal families. And several times where Um, that was something that was very well received, but I also had, uh, discussions with people that were in less than happy situations and they made comments like you're saying, well, then count me out.
1: Yeah. Eternal marriage. I don't even want this one anyway. But, um, so look, there, there are different reasons why people convert. But one of the overriding factors of conversion among the early Latter-day Saints, and we've talked about this, is the idea of Zion. Zion is a really big deal. It's such a big deal that there are all kinds of false prophets that arise predicting when Zion's going to be built, where it's going to be built, who's going to be, you know, where, you know, their apartment complex is going to be that they're subletting out to, to Pehorn's mother-in-law in Zion when they get there, right? I mean— it was such an overriding thought that many people joined the church solely over the idea of this this wonderfully beautiful place where there was no rich and no poor, no slave and free. Everyone treated each other as an equal. Everyone worshiped God. Everyone loved one another. You can just see how powerful this idea was. And so the the this these men who travel to zion joseph delivers the goods when he gets there doctrine government section 57 declares the place where the temple is going to be built in this new jerusalem and they go about then trying to to organize and create this new this this new city as we've talked about before the problem is when they get to Missouri, they're in Missouri. And I mean, I, and I'm sorry, I have to, you know, apologize, you know, to to our various Missouri listeners who I think share names, actually, in That's Missouri, right. yeah. Um, but when they get there, it is such a disappointment. These men have built up in their minds that Oliver Cowdery is, you know, baptized, Thousands and thousands of people that they're going to get there, and there's going to be, you know, uh, already a huge church there. And they get there, and they find a dirty, sin-filled gambling town with a, at best, a dozen converts. And that shock to the system is is at least the beginning point of Ezra Booth's apostasy. We talked about him. We talked about Zion where he cannot he can't fathom the idea that independence is actually Zion. He just can't. Independence can't be Zion. And then that leads him to start to doubt Joseph Smith's prophetic utterances and 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 he can apostasize and become one of the the greatest apostates in early church history. But that's not the only problem. We started talking about Edward Partridge on an earlier podcast And we never quite finished our story, but we kind of wrapped it up. It made it sound like it was done, but there was still a lot left. He was called to be this bishop. When they get down to Zion and Joseph begins to declare the, the area that the temple needs to be built on and the land they need to purchase, Edward Partridge, who is a much more savvy businessman than Joseph, he's... He he's he's a well off business person in Painesville long before he meets the Latter-day Saints. He starts to get into a disagreement with Joseph about Joseph, you're not gonna want this land. You, you, we should really buy this land over here up on the boat. And he starts to actually argue with Joseph. Joseph's response is, you know, this I don't um, I don't think you get it, Edward. I'm not I'm not seeing which real estate you know, uh, licensed official is taking a smaller commission here on the sale. God said, this is where we're going to build the temple. So that's what we're going to do. And, and we don't know the full nature of it, but it apparently became a pretty serious argument and a pretty serious disagreement. And so there was kind of a bad taste in everyone's mouth. Sydney Rigdon, um, not known for his ability to not be passionate uh, in situations like that, apparently really went after Edward Partridge, uh, you know, kind of uh, arguing with him. And that will actually lead to several other revelations in the future where these men just can't seem to reconcile. But this revelation, Doctrine and Section 58, is given in the aftermath of all of these things. Uh, you know the, the Millerites. At some point in the future, we're going to do a whole podcast on the Millerites.
0: Fantastic! I, uh, I mean, can't wait.
1: Yeah, uh, boy, you know
0: how to tease.
1: Yeah, I need everyone. Look, what now, a, what a radio tease! If you can just hold out another few weeks. We're going to get. We're m- going to talk about. We're going to talk about the Millerites. Well, then and then Campbellites. We've uh, already uh, kind of. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I if I give them all all of the ites No, I. I have to save something to keep them coming back. <laughs> uh, uh, at any rate, um, the the Millerites, Miller had predicted he knew by going through the signs of the time when Jesus was coming. Right, The day and the hour you couldn't know because that's what the scripture says. But the month doesn't say anything about the month. And so he predicted exactly what month. Well, that month came, and because you're listening to this podcast, unless this is some kind of Catholic purgatory, uh, the second coming didn't happen.
0: Yeah, it's possible. I've I've never I've never thought about it until now. I'm like, you know what? This could be a Catholic purgatory. You know,
1: you know the good place was to something. That's true. And maybe this is maybe this is hell, and we just think that it's heaven. Anyway, um, uh, so. They call that day the the great disappointment, when these people were certain that Jesus was going to come, and he, and he just didn't come. And this is kind of the Mormons' own great disappointment, honestly. They all were so ecstatic about the idea— of this new Jerusalem that I think many of them thought the city of Enoch was going to plop right down out of heaven as soon as they got there. And they thought when they get there, we're going to get to the most beautiful place ever. And it's going to be, you know, pristine and no one's and they, and they get to independence and it's not only not beautiful or pristine, it's filthy. And there's not thousands of converts greeting them or Enoch city descending from the clouds. There's a couple of converts. In fact, uh, uh, Ezra Booth very derisively, and maybe this is a uh, a a demonstration of his character or at least his uh, misogyny. At any rate, he said there were only three or four females who had joined the church there. So, yeah. not not only did he not have very many converts, the few converts he had were just women. I mean, that was basically the way he wrote it in his letter. So that there's this huge disappointment among these men. Now, and again, the walk from Kirtland to Zion is not an easy trip. It is a thousand miles. It is a months long journey to get from Kirtland, to get to where independence is. So think of how horrible that journey is. They're walking it. Some of it, they try to go by river, but mostly they're walking it. Every single day hardships, you know, uh, I'm developing sores on my feet because I don't, you know, we don't believe in real shoes in the 19th century. I mean, you know, but you're thinking, you know what, if I can just get to where Zion's going to be, I'm once I get to Zion, it'll all be worth it. It'll all be worth it. And then you get to Zion and it's, and it's Independence, Missouri and people are crestfallen. This is not the place that they believed God was going to build the second, the, 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 this new Jerusalem, and usher in the second coming. Tensions related to that disappointment lead to the the argument. That that Bishop Edward Partridge, this this mountain of faith, this guy who went from I'm going to go prove those Mormons wrong. Wait a minute, those fields look yeah, that, yeah the corn yeah. looks straight. Right, that, I'm doing that. that. Those I'm rows, those rows are yeah, you know, can't be a liar. No one who's a liar would have would have would have their their seed planted that that properly. And he joins the church and then is made you know the first bishop of the church, and then in in yeah, he's. Endowed with this enormous power because Dr. Gifford's section 42 is going to outline this new law of consecration where people are going to give their their lands and property to the church. And and Edward Partridge is going to be the one determining who gets what in return as stewardships. He he has an enormously powerful position in the church. And early on, that that's You know, we call things like, oh, it's the office of the presiding bishopric today. Frankly, it's not even very helpful to compare the two. Um, There were no other bishops. And there were very, very few ecclesiastical offices in leadership of any kind. And so very often it's Bishop Partridge, Joseph Smith, Sidney Rigdon, and Oliver Cowdery that that are running things. And and so this is, he is he's in a very big position in the church, and he just got in a big argument not only with Joseph but also with Sidney Rigdon. So this revelation comes on the heels of the great disappointment that so many of them feel. It comes on the heels of this incredibly exhausting months long journey to get to where they thought they would see paradise. And when they got there, they saw Independence, Missouri. And, and you know, I, I have to think that part of what led to the, the argument between Joseph and Edward Partridge over where the land should be purchased, I have to believe that some of that is just sheer exhaustion. That that what happens when you have your hope? I mean, look, anyone listening to this who's a BYU football fan, <laughs> you're being honest. You know, you know that that they they blow a lead in the fourth quarter, and your son or daughter comes up and asks you for something right afterwards. You're a little more short with them. You know it. You know you are right. And so, I I, I have to think that this anticipation, which melted into this disappointment. Kind of left them like, well, I guess now we got a, a month-long walk back to tell everyone how amazing Missouri is. By the way, we hate each other now. Yay, Zion. I mean, you can see, you can see why this. And so Joseph receives this revelation because the elders don't know what to do at that point. They get there, they've selected the spot. So do we do we go home now? What do we do? In part because they still haven't had the other missionaries that haven't caught up with them yet that are supposed to meet them there. So we start with some of that context, um, the way the, the revelation begins. Um, Hearken, O ye elders of my church, and give ear to my word, and learn of me. Actually, let me let me first start off with... The section heading in the original uh, Book of Commandments and Revelations, when it was copied in, what John Whitmer wrote as what the purpose of this revelation was, he wrote, A revelation given to the elders who were assembled in the land of Zion. Directions, what to do, etc. In fact, he said, etc., 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 Yeah, Yeah, there's a lot of direction. And there are. It's a very lengthy revelation. Hearken, O ye elders of my church, and give ear unto my word, and learn of me what I will concerning you, and also concerning this land unto which I have sent you. For verily I say unto you, blessed is he that keepeth my commandments, whether in life or in death. He that is faithful in tribulation, the reward of the same is greater in the kingdom of heaven. Ye cannot behold with your natural eyes for the present time the design of your God concerning those things which shall come hereafter, and the glory which shall follow after much tribulation. For after much tribulation cometh the blessings. Wherefore the day cometh that ye shall be crowned with much glory. The hour is not yet, but it is nigh at hand. Remember this which I tell you, Before that you may lay it to heart and receive that which shall follow. So, first and foremost, the Lord starts off by saying, your sufferings are going to be rewarded to you in the next life. If you're wondering, you know, why there wasn't a bigger Zion party with the city of Enoch dropping down from heaven when you got there, remember that it's not about this life. I swear that, that you know, we talk about the different ways that Satan tempts people. You might be able to encompass all of them in that Satan tries to make us think that this life is the one that matters. I'm not saying life doesn't matter. I, I, I believe it matters. But the reason why our mortality matters is not because we're going to eventually have a bigger house and everything's going to work out for us. The reason why our mortality matters is because it is what we have for eternities prepared for so that we can become like our Heavenly Father and our Heavenly Mother. That's why mortality matters. And here the Lord is trying to help them understand that. You don't comprehend the glory that you would receive if you're just faithful. And you're worried about whether or not there's two or three saloons in this town, right? You're focused on the here and now. You're focused on how bad your feet hurt. You're focused on how tired you are. You're focused on how mad you are at Edward Partridge. You need to be focused on the fact that at some future point, you are going to be crowned with the glory of God. Kind of a resetting of of who they are and reminding them as... As, as Bob wanted to remind other people, that it's after much tribulation uh, that blessings come. That our happiness in this life cannot be solely based on the things that happen to us. If it is, a lot of us are not going to be very happy Because horrible things happen to every person on this earth. Every single person who has lived has had something horrible and tragic occur. And some people have had it by the dozens. And there is no explanation. And it isn't fair. And it is filled with pain and horror. And that's why the next life matters so much. It's the point of Christianity. The point of... Of the next life mattering. As the revelation continues, so he says, First of all, I want you to think on this, take it to heart that it's the next life that matters. And then he goes on to give them the directions Behold, verily I say unto you, for this cause I have sent you, that you might be obedient, that your hearts might be prepared to bear testimony of the things which are to come and also that you might be honored of laying the foundation and bearing record of the land upon which the Zion of God shall stand. Obviously, one of the things these men were saying, probably Ezra Booth, why did we even come here? Why did, you, why did we have to walk all the way here so that Joseph could say, this place that we don't own among a bunch of sinners and a place we don't want to live is Zion. Why couldn't God just, you know, send us a memo? By the way, it's terrible. There you are. Right? And the Lord's response is, I sent you here that you might be obedient. Because in some ways, this journey to Zion is a microcosm of their mortality. Why do I have to go if in the end it didn't result in thousands of baptisms. Because it was in the going that you save yourself. It's in the going that you declare your obedience to God and you follow him and you become like him. We are so conditioned to believe that if we follow God, we will see a noticeable physical reward i'm going to obey the word of wisdom and i'm going to run faster than everyone in my company and then what happens when you don't i'm going to go to the temple 3 times a day i'm going to go i'm going to i'm going to work in the temple i'm going to build my own temple well maybe don't do that i'm going to do whatever i can i'm the most temple worshipping person who's ever lived and my son is going to come back to the church because of it we 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 sometimes create these scenarios where we expect God to do something for us. We are almost bartering with him as we would with death, trying to cheat it as one of the stages of grief, trying to bargain our way out of it. And the reality is we're bargaining about the wrong thing. You and I are eternal beings. Joseph Smith says that there is no beginning of you. Now, when you sit back and you say, well, I had to have started somewhere. Well, okay, but Joseph Smith says you didn't. Think about that in relation to this mortality. We'll sometimes say things like, oh, this mortality is just like one second in all of eternity. Actually, it's not even that. It's not even that because you have always existed and you will always exist. There isn't a way to quantify how small, relatively, this life is. It would be like trying to quantify how small Earth is in the billions of stars and millions of galaxies, trillions in the universe. Quantify just how small Earth is. You you get pretty quickly where superlatives run out. And so... This, this, this journey to Zion was meant to purify them. Why? Well, because you are sight unseen, walking the thousand miles to follow the prophet. And when you got there, you'd already made the whole sacrifice. But people like Ezra Booth, now I want my reward now. I thought I would come here and I would see where this glorious Zion of God would come down out of heaven. And, and you gave me Missouri, right? And so I, I, I really think this is profound, the way the Lord speaks to them here in this. Um, he goes on to say that the earth may know that the mouse of the prophets shall not fail. Yea, a supper of the house of the Lord, well-prepared unto which all nations shall be invited, firstly the rich and the learned, the wise and the noble, and after that cometh the day of my power. Then shall the poor, the lame, the blind, and the deaf come into the marriage of the Lamb and partake of the supper of the Lord, prepared for that great day to come. Behold, I, the Lord, have spoken it, and the testimony, that, the, that the testimony might go forth from Zion, yea, from the mouth of the city of the heritage of God. Yea, for this cause I have sent you hither, and have selected my servant Edward, and appointed him his mission in this land. But if he repent not of his sins, which is unbelief and blindness of heart, let him take heed lest he, lest he fall. Behold, his mission is given unto him, and it shall not be given again. And whoso standeth in that mission is appointed to be a judge in Israel, like as it was in ancient days to divide the lands of the heritage of God unto his children and to judge his people by the testimony of the just and by the assistance of his counselors according to the laws of the kingdom, which are given by the prophets of God. So here you have this both chastisement of Edward Partridge for his you know argument with Joseph and then also... The reiteration of the high standing of his calling. Now, interestingly, as he as he goes on, uh it, it's going to be explained in this revelation that Edward Partridge is going to be not just angrily walking back to Kirtland like Ezra Booth is, Edward Partridge is going to be moving to Zion. Now, I don't know if the Lord has a sense of humor, but it would seem like uh, this might be one of the cases in which he does, that Edward Partridge, who's so upset over the lands that the Lord has laid out for the church to purchase, is the one who's called to go effect those purchases and to bring them into the, the church's storehouse. I mean, maybe that is the the way God uh, does things. Uh, so he, 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 we actually have this in a letter. Uh, we can tell from letters that Edward writes back to his wife that he does not. Ex- he didn't think when he left that he was moving to Zion. In fact, remember his, his wife. You know, she talked about how people thought he was crazy that he went on the mission at all. You're leaving this thriving business. You're leaving your family that's sick and you're going to Missouri in the middle of, you know, what are you doing? And the Lord declares that, um, my servant Edward, this land is the land of his residence and those whom he has appointed for his counselors, and also the land of the residents of him whom I have appointed to keep my storehouse. Wherefore, let them bring their families to this land, as they shall counsel between them and me. For behold, it is not meet that I should command in all things. For he that is compelled in all things, the same is slothful and not a wise servant. So you've heard that verse your whole life. There's the context of it. The context of it is the shock and awe of this revelation to Edward Partridge. At this point, you have to you have to believe that Lydia Partridge, his wife, she at this point she's got to not want him to leave the house anymore, right? The first time I, she did, yeah. Right. Like I'm on my way to prove that this Joseph Smith guy's a liar. I'm on my way to Palmyra. Comes back. I'm I'm actually a Mormon and. <laughs> By the way, now I'm the new bishop of this religion that I was opposed to. Okay. Uh, Well, I know that our daughter's sick and we have a bunch of sick people in our family and this is causing us all financial stress, but I've been called to go on a mission to a place that will take me a month minimum to walk there and a month minimum to walk back. I'll see you in three months. Uh, And when he comes back... Oh, I've got some news for you. You know, and do you think he buried the lead like uh, so? Oh, oh, what happened when you got there? Like, I got in an argument with Joseph Smith. What was that? I didn't argue uh, you you got in an argument with Joseph Smith. Yeah, uh, did you say you got an argument with Joseph Smith? Oh yeah, we're moving to Missouri. <laughs> like, the the faith of Lydia Partridge is 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 astonishing to me, honestly. That. Now, she is, of course, converted in her own right, Um, but that she's like, okay, and they, they move. So I love the Edward Partridge story because how real is he? I mean, the guy is opposed to the religion at first, and then he converts, but that conversion wasn't enough for him to not have doubts and struggles. He you know, using his secular knowledge is really upset at the places that Joseph is selecting for the city of Zion to be built. And when he tries to express that and he feels like he's not being heard, he comes to a real argument with Joseph. And then the Lord commands him in a revelation to repent, and he does. He does enough that he packs up his family, and moved them to Missouri. Think of what has happened in Edward Partridge's life in six months. Six months ago, he wasn't a member of the church. <laughs> he is now one of the leaders of the church in Missouri deciding who gets what property back when people consecrate their properties to the church? Oh, by the way, the properties that he didn't think the church should buy in the first place. No wonder the scripture
0: after much tribulation comes the blessings. Cause he's, he's really going through it. This
1: guy has had nonstop. It's almost like he, you know, he was thrown from the, from the furnace to the fire. I mean, just right from the very beginning. And so they're, they're told to come down there, but it's, and then, you know, they're not told, well, how am I going to get my family down here, right? That's left up to them. Uh, that's where we get this, uh, uh, this idea of, of slothful and not a wise servant. Wherefore, let them bring their families to this land as they shall counsel between them and me. So this is a personal revelation thing. So if Partridge might have said, how in the world am I supposed to just bring my family down there? Well, you and your family are going to pray about it. And you're going to figure out how to follow the commandment. And I'm not going to tell you exactly how to do it. In fact, that's where this, this, this so popular verse comes from. That, um, for behold, it is not meet that I should command in all things. For he that is compelled in all things, the same is slothful and not a wise servant. Wherefore, he receiveth no reward. Verily I say, men should be anxiously engaged in a good cause, and do many good things of their own free will, and bring to pass much righteousness. For the power is in them, wherein they are agents unto themselves. And inasmuch as men are good, they shall in no wise lose their reward. But he that doeth not anything until he's commanded, and receiveth a commandment with a doubtful heart, and keepeth it with slothfulness, the same is damned. This, I think this is so powerful a, a revelation for people to read when they're studying the Doctrine and Covenants, because it so speaks to our mortal nature. Again, the reward that you're looking for is not an earthly one. And God just keeps having to remind us of that over and over and over again. That if you are only doing something because you are compelled to do it, well, then what is your reward for exercising faith and doing it on your own? Right? That If the whole point is to become like God. God is not compelled to do what he does for us. Except in the fact that he loves us. He's compelled by his love. He so desperately loves us that he created the plan in the first place. But if we only do things that are right because we think someone's watching, because we think it makes sense in our mind, because, well, you know, at some point I might need a favor from him, well, well, then, of course, we aren't becoming like God because God does things because he loves others. That's the reason why he does things. It's the reason why Jesus did things. Um, as... Um, That revelation uh, continues. Uh, We won't read all of it, but W.W. Phelps is also chastised. Maybe we should have talked about this in our Phelps Revelation podcast. He's also uh, chastised, and it's interesting the chastisement he receives. Um, And let my servant William, W.W. Phelps, stand in the office which I have appointed him, and receive his inheritance in the land, and also he hath need to repent. For I, the Lord, am not pleased with him for he seeketh to excel and he is not sufficiently meek in his heart. So, uh, we kind of talked last time about how it was kind of this character trait of Phelps that he was often kind of boastful and went above and beyond, or at least Brigham Young thought him to be so, you know, to hear judge Phelps tell it he's, he's the great, you know, um, uh, that he needs to repent. And then you get this, this teaching about repentance. And, and maybe I I feel like this is kind of a prelude to the fact that Sidney Rigdon is, he, he is not able to let the Edward Partridge thing go. He there, he is still going to be seething at Partridge on their way back. It'll lead to a whole nother revelation, which we won't cover today, but we might someday, but only if you keep listening to the podcast. We won't. Richard Shaking said, we, we won't ever cover it. At this point, how many things have we promised and not delivered?
0: Uh, all of the things. Yeah. We've promised everything and we've delivered
1: We've delivered <laughs> nothing. nothing. That's part of it. That's part of it. We've, we've delivered that. Anyway, the Lord uh, in the Revelation says, He that hath repented of his sins, the same is forgiven, and I, the Lord, remembereth them no more. By this you may know that a man, if a man repenteth of his sins, behold, he will confess and forsake them. So that again, that's a very often quoted scripture. And you know that that beautiful phrase that, that when you repent, the Lord doesn't hold them against you anymore. God is not like us. We often forgive people, but always keep it in the back of our mind. Yeah, but if he does this, I'm going to pull out the fact that he did this, right? Um, but if you confess and forsake them, you'll have uh, no more. Uh, the Lord's also going to regulate um, that, that not everyone should come up to the land of Zion at once. Um, but these people, uh, some of the elders are going to go back They shall push the people together from the ends of the earth. Wherefore, assemble yourselves together, and he that is not appointed to stay in this land, So some aren't going to stay, some are, obviously Edward Partridge is, let them preach the gospel in the regions round about, and after that, let them return to their homes, and let them preach by the way, and bear testimony of the truth in all places, and call upon the rich, the high, the low, and the poor to repent, and let them build up churches inasmuch as the inhabitants of the earth will repent, So, that this, um, you kind of have this regulation of who's going to go to Zion. Some people are going to stay, others are going to go back to their families. Uh, Edward Parcher is going to go back and say, hey, we need to move um, to Missouri. But while there are other directions that are given, I think that those are the main ones. Um, They're also told they're going to have a conference that's come. But I'd like to kind of share the the last part um, when it is. As it closes, Um, let them also return preaching the gospel by the way, bearing record of the things which are revealed unto them. For verily, the sound must go forth from this place unto all the world and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. The gospel must be preached unto every creature with signs following them that believe. And behold, the Son of Man cometh. Amen. I always think it's interesting to read that last line, right? You're going to go out and preach because Jesus is coming. Um, it may not be uh, the the Millerites, you know, m- you know, exact day appointed, but in the end, right? Latter-day Saints believe not only that Jesus lived and that Jesus died for us, we believe that Jesus is coming again. And how is it that He's able to come again? Well, because He is the Lord. He lives, and as the Lord, he will come in power and glory. And, and so we await that, much like these people were awaiting that that prophesied day of Zion. This revelation is one of those that clearly affected Joseph too. Now, of course, he's the one receiving them, so, you know. Um, but he was also in this situation where he, had, I mean, think about it for Joseph. People have been desperate to know where Zion is. You, you're having to hold off false. Pro, he's essentially swatting away false prophets all throughout the Palmyra and Kirtland eras with you know with a fly swatter because every other day someone's like, "Oh yeah, I know where Zion is. It's like in my backyard," and you're all welcome <laughs> to it. Um, uh, and and here he goes on this arduous journey, and it's so difficult. And they get down there. I have to believe that Joseph was also disappointed when the Lord declared, "Yep, this is where the temple is. Um, here. I mean, are you sure that you? De- what if we just built like a, a church house here and then found another place to call Zion? Um, and yet there that early aspect of the revelation." must have held a lot of comfort for Joseph. And I say that because if we fast forward two years from now, two years from now, these very people that have been commanded by God to take their families to this Zion, to build it up, well, these very people are now suffering because unlike Ezra Booth, they stayed faithful in the church and they followed the commandments. And they moved their families down there. And then the mobocratic violence erupted after W.W. Phelps' publication in the newspaper that invited free black members of the church to move to Missouri. The violence erupts and the saints are are assaulted. And then when they try to maintain their presence, they are driven out violently by force and people are shot uh, and, and, and killed. And now they're they're bereft of everything. They've lost their homes. they're driven out. they are they're refugees living outside of Zion. And Joseph, hearing about it in Kirtland, writes a letter to Edward Partridge, the same Edward Partridge that he'd had the argument with about Zion two two and a half years earlier, the same Edward Partridge. And what, he, what does he find a, a, in this letter that he, he writes? There's, there's lots of things in it. I've shared part of this letter before because it's so profound, but, you know, I mean, I, I'm going to give you what you pay for. Um, and one of the things that he, he demonstrates is that Joseph can't find an answer exactly for why there's so much suffering in Zion. How is it possible that these faithful people who went up there to serve God? They're being killed? They're losing everything that they have? They're not being punished because they didn't follow the commandments. They're literally being punished because they decided Joseph was still a prophet even though they were told that Missouri was the new Jerusalem. And so Joseph writes, I cannot learn from any communication by the Spirit to me that Zion has forfeited her claim to a celestial crown, notwithstanding that the Lord has caused her to be thus afflicted. He goes on to say, I've always expected that Zion would suffer affliction from what I could learn from the commandments which had been given. But I would remind you of a certain clause in one of them that says, after much tribulation cometh the blessing underline uh, that in, in the manuscript copy of, of Doctrine and Covenants section 58 that, that Joseph is now quoting, they were once told when they first went there that they were going to suffer. And two years later, here is that suffering. Unfortunately, some of the prophecies that God gives, they're a lot, they're a lot rougher when they, when they come true and Edward Partridge and the saints living in Missouri, they were suffering the realities of that, that there would be much suffering. He goes on to say that, I know that in in the own due time of the Lord that Zion will be redeemed, but how many will be the days of her purification, tribulation, and affliction? The Lord has kept hid from my eyes. When I inquire of the Lord concerning this subject, the voice of the Lord is, be still and know that I am God. All those who suffer for my name shall reign with me. He that layeth down his life for my sake shall find it again. Again, as Joseph is begging God for an answer to the suffering of the saints in Zion, the response that the Lord gives him is similar to the response that the Lord gave to those frustrated missionaries arriving in independence two years earlier. It's not about this life. It's not about this life. He that layeth down his life for my sake shall find it again. The the real law of consecration, that we are willing to give up everything for God. Why does God require everything if God is all-powerful? because the only way that you can become like God is if you develop the character trait that is willing to do anything for what is right, willing to sacrifice anything that God requires. Because what is right doesn't change on the basis of how much we have to sacrifice for it. And this life, as we talked about to start with this podcast, is filled with tribulation. And we are when we're going through that suffering, it is poignant and it is ever-present. And for those who have lost someone that they love so deeply every single day will be a reminder that that person is no longer there. Every, every sunrise that you see and you think, oh, so-and-so would have loved to see this will remind you that they're gone every laugh that kind of sounds like theirs, every time you, you see a movie that, that, that you remember that person liked, the pain comes rushing back as you feel this empty void created by the loss of that person that you love. And it's in that moment that we have to believe that these horrible separations the death that is incumbent upon all mortality, that it is not forever. That when you die, you don't just go away. You don't just poof out of existence. No, you return home to that God who sent you here and that you will one day be resurrected and then there will be no more death there will be no more pain, there'll be no more injustice, there'll be no more fear, there'll be no more sorrow, there will be only joy. That sounds too good to be true, but I think that is the ultimate explanation of the blessing that after much tribulation cometh the blessing. That revelation really is a microcosm of our lives we're all going to suffer hopefully it is it is muted hopefully it's it, the, the holy spirit gives us some measure of peace people always say you know you can't avoid death and taxes the other one that you really should add to that is because you can't avoid death or at least the death of the people that you love you can't avoid suffering Suffering will find you. Injustice will find you. Sadness, overwhelming feelings of grief will find you. And hopefully in those moments, we can turn to God and we can have faith to know not just that this too will pass, but that one day, somehow, Through the atonement of Jesus Christ, everything will be made up to us. Everything that we have lost will be returned. All of the sorrow will somehow be made right. All of the suffering will somehow be wiped away. I can't explain how the Lord will do that, but I have faith and know that he will. So thank you for joining us this week on the podcast And hopefully you you enjoyed learning more about Doctrine and Covenants section 58. Thank you for listening to the Standard of Truth podcast, hosted by historian Dr.
0: Garrett Dirkmott. If you know anybody that could benefit from the material in this episode, please share it with them. And for more resources, visit
1: standardoftruth.com. Until next time.